Hello, welcome to Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Bottom of Six. And Father, we're going to kind of continue the conversation we were having about vaccines that are created through research that is done through fetal lines from babies that were aborted decades ago. So as to kind of recap the conversation that we had last time, the way that science is developed vaccines is that they take a raw and potent strain of a vaccine or of the disease rather, and they need to keep it alive and they keep it alive in these clusters of cells. Some of them do it through um, other biological things like pigs, mam other mammals, monkeys, stuff like that. Um, some have done it with yeast. And some have done it with um, aborted fetal cells to have humans. All of these effectively work, but some are harder than others. So, but the reason that you keep the disease alive is so you have it in its strongest form. So you can test whatever compound you're using to try to combat it and create a true vaccine. So no one will ever do it again, or you're trying to just weaken the effect and create a, a wellness program, like the way that, you know, Tylenol makes you reduce pain. It's a wellness treatment. It's not a, a vaccine. Um, so that's kind of how the medicine side of it works. And the reason we're having this conversation that I want to emphasize again does not mean that the production of the vaccine or the wellness treatment is being used by aborted babies. That's not part of the, um, that's not part of what's happening. What, what's happening is this is, um, used in the initial phase of keeping the virus alive. So with that being said, I wanted to start there because the ethical question is, we know that there are vaccines out there that have strictly came from these aborted cell lines. And thanks to the patent system of this country, in some cases, there are no alternatives. Um, in some cases, there are. In some cases, there aren't. So we look at this through the context of diseases as a total. Um, I started with it as, as a true vaccine conversation, um, which is why I didn't really discuss COVID in the first place, because that's, by all definitions, not a vaccine. Um, so we have obviously had a lot of emails talking about the, the, the COVID um it's not a vaccine. It's a wellness treatment plan. But nonetheless, to uh, to discuss that, and um, we've delved delve into some more information about it. Um, so, Father, you are the the man the man of faith, and also a very educated man who's done some research about this. And I want to let part two go to you. And if I messed up any of the summary, uh, please let me know that as well. Um, no, I think that's pretty good. I, I don't. I have to admit, I don't understand <clears throat> all of the science. And so uh, <clears throat> I can't uh, say perhaps as, as uh, clearly as I might like, but uh, uh, some basic categories from what I've read are similar to what we discussed in the last podcast episode. The difference between um, developing the vaccine using the aborted uh, fetal cells uh, I always want to say stem cells, but that's not what we're talking about here. So I have to keep correcting myself, but aborted uh, fetal cells, cell lines. Um, one is to that, that they were used in developing the, the vaccine. Another is that they're used in testing the vaccine 
Another is that they're used in manufacturing the vaccine. So those seem to be the three categories that are uh, of critical concern. And that would go for any other uh, antibiotics or, or any other uh, biological things in general is uh, that uh, those, those distinctions. And the, the real critical distinction in terms of, uh, is in terms of manufacturing. So it's the ongoing necessity of those cell lines in the generation of, of new vaccines. Now, as you said, it's not aborting new, uh, new fetuses, uh, new, new babies. It's, it's using the same lines that were produced in 1972, or there's another line produced in 1985 from aborted babies at those times. And, uh, but it's still using their bodies. It's, it's using the, the fruits of something intrinsically morally evil in order to do a good thing. But we know that we can't use an evil thing to do good. We can't do an evil thing to bring a good about. And evil is an evil and, and is always uh, tainting the good. Just like, you know, even if it's only a drop of motor oil, it's going to ruin a whole vat of wine. Uh, any any evil mixed in with our good actions is is going to stain, fundamentally stain and even uh, destroy our our good actions. So, um, so distinguishing those three categories, developing with so uh, the the initial developments. Obviously, they don't just have the vaccine you know drop down from heaven. Uh, they have to do some experimentation. They have to develop some test cases. They need to try some different things. So the development is one thing. And uh, those, in that case, we would have vaccines developed using uh, material. So we have to talk about the material itself. We did that already in the past episode, but I'll come back to that in a moment. But we, we would have uh, vaccines compromised because of their development in having been developed through uh, ethically questionable uh, means by using those fetal cell lines. Uh, but the ongoing use of the vaccine, we, we would never have to use those fetal cell lines again. So that's going to be one degree less, uh, problematic. Uh, likewise, the testing is similar to the development. The testing, uh, uses those, those, uh, fetal cell lines and they wouldn't necessarily need to be used again. Having been tested, uh, there, there were not uh, doing ongoing testing necessarily, or we could change the testing in the future to produce it in a different way. And so it's not inherently tied to those fetal cell lines. Whereas uh, those vaccines, which are manufactured using the fetal cell lines, those are going to be inherently tied to the fetal cell lines. And so that's going to be a degree more problematic. And if I'm getting it right to make it concrete in the COVID case, the Pfizer and Moderna use the fetal cell lines, I think in development and in testing, but they don't use them in manufacturing. Whereas the Johnson & Johnson did use or does use those fetal cell lines in manufacturing. So those are two different categories of, of, uh, of complicit, uh, complicity with that original evil of abortion. Now, again, to look at the fetal cell lines, those fetal cell lines are used in a lot of things involving uh, pharmaceuticals and, uh, well, pharmaceuticals and, and that whole uh, biomedical industry. And so uh, one priest I heard investigated and found out that 
those fetal cell lines have been used in basically every pharmaceutical except for Gasex. That was, that was his actual quote from a homily. And he's a very sincere priest, a traditional uh, fraternity, fraternal society of St. Peter priest and investigated. He was pre- preaching to a very conservative, uh, religiously and politically conservative congregation. And he was willing to say, you know, if you're, if you're going to object to the use of these vaccines that were tested using those fetal cell lines, then you have to object to the use of all kinds of pharmaceuticals. In fact, basically everything, all of our antibiotics and um, a, a number of other things. I didn't do that research. I'm, I'm referencing him loosely. But uh, the point is, those fetal cell lines taint a lot of the things that we that we use on a regular basis. And for logical consistency, one would have to object to all of that, to object to the use of those vaccines at an ethical level because of the uh, use of fetal cell lines. There are other reasons to object to the vaccines and the mandating of the vaccines not related to those fetal cell lines. So we could talk about that too. But anyway, just to note that before I move on. Well, let's keep the mandate part out of this because that can be a month worth of conversation. Um, right, so right. For- just the, the point being there, are, there are numerous ethically questionable things about mandated vaccine use. Uh, we're just talking about one of those at the moment. So when I say, if you're going to object to the use of the vaccines because of fetal cell lines, you need to object to the use of a lot of pharmaceuticals because of the fetal cell lines. Now, there's yet another layer deeper than that to say, well, these pharmaceuticals, many of them were developed before that testing happened, and they don't become retroactively uh, bad because somebody tested them using those fetal cell lines later on. So the the testing is even a degree less uh, connected to them. They weren't developed with the fetal cell lines. They aren't manufactured with the fetal cell lines. But later in the day, some companies use fetal cell lines to test them. Well, it's like, you know, just because somebody uses something bad to test something doesn't get rid of the entire category. So you could push back on on what I said uh, in terms of the testing to that degree. But the point is those fetal cell lines are almost uh, ubiquitous from what I understand in terms of biomedical research in the modern day, um, not necessarily retroactively tainting things like penicillin, but uh, tainting many of the things that have been developed and produced in the modern day. So uh, there's real concern there. And again, like we talked about the last time, well, what's the concern about the fetal cell lines? The, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in 2005 said uh, one could use them in good conscience. And uh, that's because we're not aborting new babies. This is something that was developed uh, many years ago and has continued to be in use and uh, it's not encouraging the abortion of new babies. It's, uh, you know, but it has, so it's material cooperation. It's not formal cooperation with evil to use those uh, terms that I, I discussed in the last podcast. It is material cooperation, but it still is cooperation with evil. There was an evil action that led to the production of those original, original fetal cell lines. And we, we shouldn't be just uh, blasé about participating with evil in any degree. So Uh, One should take it seriously. And then like we discussed last time, when we start numbing our conscience to the use of uh, things that are uh, acquired uh, uh, in an evil way, then we start to open the door for more things. I was thinking of that in reading about the fetal cell lines produced in 1972. It's like, okay, that's a long time ago. Well, 
I mean, how, you know, so do you just use something long enough until it's a long time ago enough, then that makes it okay? Like, what about if it were yesterday? I mean, there was a point it was used and it was yesterday. So just because we've uh, used it a lot since then, how does that make it better than if it were yesterday? Uh, simply saying it was used, it was done a long time ago, doesn't really make it okay. And then if, you know, 1972 is a long time ago, well, what about 1985? I mean, at what point is it not long time ago enough? And so we can really end up uh, just saying, oh, you know, that's, uh, we can use justifications that are a little bit irrational and they have a way of numbing our conscience and deafening us to what God is trying to say about the respect for all human life. And as, as I did the last time, you know, I can just reference the medical experimentation that the Nazis did in the concentration camps. Do we really want to use the fruits of that and therefore open the door in a certain way to making people feel like, well, you know, maybe people don't like it if I do this, but they like the results that I get. So if I do it in a covert way enough and I give them the results, they'll use the results, even if they'll yell at me for doing it in this covert way that they don't like, you know, mm -hmm. well, that's not good. You know, we don't want to foster that kind of attitude towards, towards human life, the infinite dignity of human life. It's, it's uh, so degraded in our time that we really need to fight to uphold that dignity of, of human life. So I just want to reinforce that it, it is ethically possible, as, as the church has said, but we, we shouldn't just be too cavalier about embracing things that are still compromised. It's not fundamentally and, and, and irreconcilably compromised, but, but it is compromised. And so we need to, to be sensitive to that. Yeah, and, and I guess one of the basic things with medicine is that each of us, even though there are be human beings for thousands and thousands of years, but each of us only have one life. So how will this individual compound affect us, you know, 50 years from now? And, and really, there's no way to know that. So um, in that regards, I guess I, I think I understand the logic behind why they would test things that we know that have a longer time span. Um, it's not that we're testing the penicillin or the polio vaccine, but more so that they're testing the means of the test to see if it, it's giving true results or not true results. Um, you see that in mathematical theorems and the way that they prove it. Um, is your new way of thinking actually going to work or not? Is this, is this medium a, a good test or not? So in the testing component, that part, I guess, makes sense to me. Uh, to me, the, the, the big objection is, is when it's in the manufacturing um, stage. I mean, to me, that, that's the, 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 the biggest one and the most obvious one, uh, because that does inevitably lead to the temptation of, of, of needing more. And, and that's, I guess, another part of the, um, and this just might be the, the, the construction mind I have, uh, just biologically speaking, a fetus is small. Um, and when I'm building a foundation, I need a lot of concrete. I can't just use one concrete, you know, one bag of concrete and have it last for seven jobs. Um, how they are able to do that is beyond my knowledge of biology. But in some regards, if they had the technology in the 70s, that's kind of remarkable um, that it's working 50 years later. Um, again, I don't understand enough about it to do that. And it gets me in the, the follow-up to the second point you made there is that morality doesn't have a statute of limitations, um, you know, like, like we do with the law. You know, if something happened long enough, basically the law says, get over it, your memory of it's probably wrong. Essentially, that's what a statute of limitations is um, from the victim standpoint. So 
what 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 I, I I agree with you that there's no time limit that says that this becomes right. Um, but it does get me into the question that I've been thinking about in the in between time of we hear of examples of people who have gone through an illness or whatever, and they don't want to have any type of medical intervention except for their own personal prayer, thinking that um, this prayer will fix either myself or one of my loved ones of whatever disease that they may have, even if it's something as simple as you know, penicillin would, would knock this thing out and we know it, it works. So the debate that people bring up to them is how do you not know that what the doctors are doing, what the pharmacists have created, isn't the the work of God. Because as, as you said many times, God allows anything that can be turned towards the good. And it's that line of thinking that has kind of caught me up in our in-between period here of where does, where does that fit into play? Because you've said that many times throughout the years that, that God allows bad things to happen, but it's only so that they can be turned to the good. So we look at things, even the most horrific things, you know, the, the, the wars and all of that, um, you know, there have been good things that have flown from them. So in the context of, of where we're here talking about the fetal lines, how does that play? I know that the Vatican says that it's morally acceptable to use these, but I guess that's the, 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 the headspace where I, I'm trying to figure out and, and figure out the how how to implement that because I on the one hand I don't want to deny um, anyone medicine that will help them or make them feel guilty for it, um, but on the other hand I don't want to promote something that's evil. You know that this is the line that I guess ultimately we're all going to have to walk in, in trying to get that uh, that thought process through. Uh, well, yeah, a couple different categories. Uh, so all things are under God's control. That is to say, God can prevent us from doing anything. So why does he allow us to do evil things? Well, he only allows us to do those evil things that he can bring good out of. So he puts a limit on the evil that, uh, that he allows us to do. But there's no way, there's there's no sense in which he is endorsing the things that we are doing, the evil that we are doing. And that's where we, we distinguish the active and the passive will of God. Allowing is one thing, uh, actively willing is another thing. It's like, it's better to suffer evil than to do evil. So God suffers the evil that we do. He does not initiate it or will it in any way. So God never wills us to do evil. So it's not like God said, well, the only way for them to develop this vaccine is doing is using this morally compromised fetal cell lines. I will them to, to do that. God never wills evil. But in our human limitation, in our lack of trust, in our lack of ingenuity, in our lack of a lot of things, we do a lot of things that are compromised at various levels. God allows that and he continually works all of it to the good. So uh, it's important to distinguish those, those things lest we uh, start to feel like it's God's will to do evil in any way, which it never is. So uh, God can work all of those things to the good, but it's like, um, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus, for example, was the worst evil that mankind ever did, the killing of God. And 
God obviously allowed that, and he also worked that to the good. God suffered evil. He didn't will it. And then he took the evil that we committed, and he suffered, and he transformed it into love and prayer by the crucifixion So, and the, and the Last Supper. So, uh, but we don't do, so it's like uh, St. Paul says, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What does that mean? That we should sin? Of course not. So we don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't justify our doing evil, the fact that God will uh, work it to the good. So we don't, we don't put God to the test in that way. So that's important to realize. Um, and now I lost track of the other thing that you asked. Well, the other part is the dilemma that comes up in the news ever so often when you see a couple that doesn't want to have any medical intervention whatsoever and solely rely upon um, their prayers and, and graces of God and essentially discounting whatever other people around them are able to provide for them or give them in the form of modern medicine. Right. So that gets into some other categories in terms of uh, what defines medicine and what exactly are they resisting? I mean, in some sense, all food is medicine. So are they not going to eat anything? You know, and there are a lot of uh, going out into the sunlight is vitamin D, which uh, is also battles disease. So are they not going to do that either? I mean, where do you draw the line between medicine and what God has given us? You know, so so part of what God has given us is all of these inventions of modern medicine. Now, one could make the distinction between using, first of all, medicines that are uh, produced in in pure and ethical ways. And that's what, by the way, just to clarify, when the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith says it's not morally impermissible to use a vaccine that was developed with or even manufactured with these fetal cell lines. It also immediately says, but we should always prefer and choose vaccines that are ethically uh, developed, tested, and manufactured. So if there's a better alternative, uh, then we should use that. The CDF is saying that in the, in the moral evaluation, the greater good of protecting us from some disease outweighs the material cooperation with the, uh, the, the method of production with these formerly aborted uh, cell lines. So, uh, so we're always aiming toward ethic, ethically developed and manufactured uh, pharmaceuticals, medical uh, treatments, et cetera. Uh, that's, that's always our aim. Uh, but in terms of like, what, how, do you, how do you make the distinction and so uh, what, the, what the church requires is those things which are not considered extraordinary treatments. They're not demanding an extraordinary thing from the recipient. They're not demanding an extraordinary competency or technology or cost or whatever else from the producer, um, that, that those things we are morally obligated to use. So uh, chemotherapy is extraordinary, but uh, intravenous uh, food and drink is not, for example, or, or Tylenol, you know, is not, um, or whatever, some other uh, basic treatments, things that are ubiquitous, things that are uh, easily available and easily administered that don't require uh, extraordinary uh, training or, or resources. So, and that even means that things that are ordinary in our country might be extraordinary in another country we have some advanced medical care that makes some things ordinary. It's not a, it's not a grave burden on, uh, or, or an extraordinary measure 
to do certain things, you know, whatever, take antibiotics, for example, in, uh, in our country. So uh, those are the distinctions that the, that the church makes. Uh, just deciding that you don't want uh, any, any medical treatment. Again, what does medical treatment mean? You don't want any food and water. You don't want any, any vitamins. You don't want any, a lot of times we have our own categories and it's like, where, where do we get those categories from? Um, and so I think that that all needs to be tested a little bit in terms of its coherence, uh, that, that tends toward, a, an irrational stance that's kind of anti, um, anti-technology or, uh, anti-modern in a, in a way that is, um, yeah, not, not healthy. Fair enough. Um, well, with that being said, father, if there's any final thoughts you want to talk about, um, specifically about the, the fetal line and the research that they do. Um, let's use this opportunity to do it now as we conclude the episode. Well, uh, I, I think just, uh, you know, all, all of these are complicated issues, first of all. And so I think it's important to think through them uh, clearly. And there are uh, the National Center for uh, the National Catholic Bioethics Center, NCBC, dot uh, com, I believe, has a, a lot of really useful articles and uh, a lot of good church teaching. The church's teaching is also always nuanced. So just saying the CDF says it's okay or the Pope says it's okay is not really uh, adequately representing what's the, what the church is saying. So uh, we have to be careful about just making those blanket statements that the Pope and the church are not saying that it's just okay in a blanket way nor are they mandating uh, the use of these things, uh, nor are there, you know, other kind of moral pressures or obligations. So what are they saying? It's important to look at that more carefully. Uh, and, and likewise, it uses fetal cell lines, therefore it's not okay. Well, that's not true either. <laughs> we have to, so just to, to point out that it's, it's complicated and there are a number of factors involved that we have to think through. In terms of aborting babies, it's not complicated and there are not a number of factors that we have to think through. It's always wrong in every circumstance, period, end of story. So we have to make some distinctions in those moral categories and, and think a little bit or help get us, somebody else to help us think and, uh, and, and trust them, but not sort of spout off on things in, in too simplistic a way. And, and, you know, take our decisions also to prayer and use our prudential judgment and, and making our decisions, not sort of blindly following uh, where everybody is leading. Beautiful. And what a great note to end today's episode with. We will be with you all again next week, and we'll talk to you then.